And uh-oh, remembering his death. And so that's why we're singing so much about the cross today, though we always sing about the cross. But that's why we're really homed in on it today, because we're going to talk about that. And uh, let's read. By the way, I was baptizing. What a joy to baptize. But because two reasons. Primarily, what got me in there was little Jasmine, we've half raised since she was a baby in our arms. And she said, I'll get baptized, but I'm not doing it unless you do it. And then uh, Nikki was my daughter's and is my daughter's best friend. She gave her heart to Christ a few weeks ago here in our church. And so she said, same thing. So it's, it's neat to be having spiritual children. That's why we're here. Amen. All right. Let's look at Luke 23, verses 32 to 33. Notice we're reading, jumping right into the middle of not just Christ being crucified, but two men next to him. So there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. And I want to focus today, we're always, we focus on Christ and we should, but what about these two men crucified on either side of him? I find them very intriguing, very interesting. There's a great, I'm sure many messages where they are concerned, but we're going to, I'm going to have this little graphic while I preach up there at the bottom of the screen. We want to think of three crosses today, not just one, because what you see up there is a snapshot of real life. Jesus presenting himself, one person receives him, one person rejects him. That's the way life is. So let's look at it and let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. And we pray that you will make this cross real, real to us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up. You're going to need this. Thank you. Now, this is the third message, as I said, in a five-part series. I'm excited about Easter. It is coming. We're going to be Saturday night, 7 o'clock, Sunday morning, 8, 9, 45, and 11, 30. And you ought to be inviting people, spreading the word, bringing that in-law, that outlaw, those friends, those co-workers, those neighbors that have never uh, really started walking or have never come to Christ. Bring them because they'll come on Easter. We're going to have a great time of salvation. But now, heading up to it, here we go, third week, as Jesus heads to the cross, and now he's at the cross, prior, of course, to the resurrection. And we just read about these two thieves, crucified, one on the right, one on the left. And what's interesting to me is, as I said, there's a snapshot of life, and these two thieves had two opposite reactions or responses to Jesus. And because of their two opposite responses, they had two opposite destinies, eternal destinies. One entered paradise that day with Jesus. The other was swept away to a reprobate's terrible death and terrible fate. The Holy Spirit 
decided that this account of these two men was so important that he put it in every one of the four Gospels. If it's in one of them, naturally, we need to pay attention because it's all the Word of God. But he put it in all four, the account of these two men. But it's Luke who brings out what I found so interesting. It's a, an exchange between Jesus and these two thieves and these two thieves talking to each other as they die. So you have three crucified men, one the Son of God, two criminals, and they're talking up there. It's an incredible conversation. And so we're going to look at that today and what made the difference in these men. Now, Luke never calls these two dying men thieves. He uses a much stronger word in the Greek language. That word he uses is one guilty of a heinous offense against the law, a felon. Don't forget that they've done something to earn capital punishment. And so here they are. These are not misdemeanor violations. These are not just kind of on the periphery of breaking the law. These are major lawbreakers. These are felons. These are infamous men, evildoers. And this crucifixion scene is a perfect snapshot of what the cross is all about. Because here's Jesus hanging between these two criminals, and his presence is unavoidable. There he is. And the necessity of making a decision concerning him is inescapable. It's all there. They've got to decide what they're going to do with Christ because there he stands. There he is, crucified, breathing out his last breath. And they knew about him. Now, what I want to know is, here you are writhing in pain. You know that you only have a few hours left. You're in, you're in the worst imaginable situation you could possibly be in in life. A step away from death, and you act in such a way towards Christ. That is, they both did it first, and one of them stuck with it. And I want to know, how can you do that? It, it seems to me you would be looking for any possible forgiveness. But one did, and one didn't. Now, I want to take the one who remained lost. I'm going to look at him first. He was, first of all, I notice, and the Word of God tells us what was wrong with him, tells us why he resisted Christ, what might have been motivating him. And I believe I'm talking to at least a few people here today who are doing the same thing. And so I want to know, and of course, by radio and by video across the Internet, there's going to be people watching this, listening to this, who are like this first one, this this criminal who never repented. What does the Bible tell us about him? First, he was following the crowd. He was a crowd follower. He was a people pleaser. If you'll notice, if you read the account there in Luke 23, the crowd was mocking Jesus, and both of these criminals initially joined in, chimed in, and mocked Jesus with the crowd. Scripture says... Then one of the criminals who were hanging or who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, then save yourself and while you're at it, save us. In other words, it was mockery. If you're the Christ, come on down. We've heard of all these miracles, walking on water, raising the dead, multiplying the bread, all the things Jesus did. Come on, Son of God, jump on down and while you're going down, take me with you. It was a mockery. They were both saying it initially. And I got to notice this is exactly what the crowd was saying. 
The Bible records, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Same theme, same echo, same kind of mockery. This one unrepentant criminal was following the crowd. And do you know that our prisons are full of people who were crowd followers? And I know that some of you are hanging around with a bunch, hanging around with a group. They're probably dragging you down. Can I tell you bluntly today, you can never please God and follow the crowd. Let me tell you something else. The crowd's usually wrong. Well, how can they all be wrong? Well, because that's the way people are. We're followers. We, we, uh, we, we are conformists. And our culture is full of conformity. And you're with one crowd or the other. You're with God's crowd or you're with the enemy's crowd, the world's crowd. And it's so easy to be in love with Jesus and, and be doing all the right things and just make one connection that leads you off into the wrong crowd and you never intended to go there. You didn't mean to go there. You didn't know you were going to go there. You didn't even think you could go there. But you ended up going there because of the seductive power of the crowd. We want the smile of people instead of the smile of God. But I'm here to announce to you today that, listen, the line is being drawn in the sand in this country. And you really are on one side or on the other. You're with the Lord's people. Or like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There comes a time when you've got to say, I'm here and I'm not going to have one foot in and one foot out. And I'm not going to on Sundays be in and Monday through Friday be out. No, we've got to be a follower of Christ. This man, this man had a weakness, I believe. It, it may have been his lifelong problem. He was a crowd follower, a people pleaser. And I think this weakness may have been the reason he found himself on a cross. It's very possible one day his crowd, his group, he was hanging with, running with, went and undertook a criminal activity, a criminal act. And he didn't know it was going to go as far as it did. It went further than he always, than he, than he anticipated that it would, than he thought that it would. And that's usually the way the devil works. You always go farther than you thought you would, and you stay longer than you thought you should. That's the way it works. Satan never shows you what he's got planned up front. He waits till you stick a foot in, then he springs the trap. And before you know it, you're in deeper than you ever thought you would be. And I believe this may be what happened to this man. Maybe he was never able to stand alone. Never learn to say no. And I think no is a wonderful word. And, and we better learn it good, church. Because with one little two-letter word, no. No, I don't believe I'll go with you into that. No, I don't believe that I need to dabble in that. No, I don't think that I will say that or do that or think that or try that. No, I don't think so because I've given my heart to Christ. So the only thing I want to do is say yes to him and no to the things knocking on my door that may destroy me. This man couldn't do it. He didn't have a strong set of core principles that were more important to him than the opinion of others. You know what the Bible says? The fear of man brings a snare. If I'm more afraid about what people think about me than what God thinks about me, I'm going to fall. Listen, James said, if you're the friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. Do you know that somebody said to me recently, I'm going to come to your church because I get convicted. I said, well, what have you been getting in your other church? Well, I've sat there a long time and I'm not convicted and I want to be convicted. Now, and, and then in between services today, somebody said to me, 
that they are being encountered by all kinds of people who are saying, I'm going to go to turning point. Why are you going to go to turning point? Because that guy will step on your toes. I didn't know I had that reputation. I really didn't. I want everybody to like me. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm, real, I'm much more concerned about his smile than yours. That's right. And, and if I'm not more concerned about his smile than yours, you don't want me as your preacher. This man didn't know how to say no. And he was trapped. The fear of man brings a snare. Even on the cross, he followed the crowd. In his dying breath, he followed the crowd. When his life was slipping away, he followed the crowd. Wow. It's deadly to do that. The day has come in America when every believer is going to have to grow a, a spine of steel and learn to say no. If you've got to stand alone, say no. Because you're never alone when you say no to sin and yes to God. You have the angels amening you. You have God amening you. You have Christ amening you. You can never go wrong saying no to sin and yes to Christ. So sadly, this first thief he just followed the crowd all the way to a lost eternity. And that's a long way. Second, I see about him that this guy did not feel guilty for his sin. It's clear in the scriptures. Let's remember who he was. He was a thief. He was a robber. In fact, the same Greek word used about the robbers in the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gave us, who attacked the traveler on the road beat him up, stripped him of all of his goods, and left him for dead. The same word to describe that robber is used to describe these men on the cross. They attacked. They bloodied people. They beat them up. They stripped them. They left them for dead. They, they abused and wronged people. They were, they were these felons, and they were violent, evil outlaws hanging next to Christ. And finally, this guy had been caught and condemned to death, and he's sitting there gasping for his life in agony. If ever there was a time to repent, here's the Savior of the world right here. Wow, right here. There he is. Can you imagine that? He's, he's, he's hanging right next to the only one who can forgive him. But he didn't repent. You can be so close and yet never get in. You can be on the outside looking in. You can come to church your whole life and be lost. Billy Graham said, the greatest harvest field in the world is the church. Because people think if I go to church, that makes me right with God. No more than standing in a garage makes you a car. You must be born again. I must be born again. We must repent. We must all come to him individually. He didn't repent. He had no remorse, no sense of guilt. His conscience was so seared from all the sin, he gave no thought to his wickedness. That's why when you feel the slightest conviction, run to him. Run to him and take advantage of it because the day may come when his voice gets far away. And you can't hear any. the way it works. Now thirdly, and most significantly, this man did not believe in Christ. The Bible reveals he doubted Christ. He said, if 
you are the Christ. Save yourself and us if. You know, there is a world of unbelief in that one little two-letter word, if. If is indicative of a great chasm between you and him. If. If you are the Son of God. In other words, I don't believe it. I'm full of unbelief. I don't accept it. I don't receive it. I don't embrace that. He didn't die with a firm confession of Christ on his lips. He died a few short hours later uttering the word, if. He died in his sins. And anybody who does not repent will die in their sins. Can I be honest with you today, church? Don't we need to get back to this? I'm so sick and tired of motivational seminars and God wants everybody rich and you can be a big success. Listen, that's not the message of the church. When Jesus started preaching, he said, repent. When John the Baptist started preaching, he said, repent. The truth is that the entire human race has been born with a terrible disease, and it's called sin, and we've all got it. We're all infected with it. And it doesn't mean that we're walking around with horns and, and, and a, a tail and a pitchfork, and we do horrible, terrible, diabolical things, but what it does mean is, having been born in sin, we have a tendency towards sin, a bent towards sin. You don't have to teach a child to be wrong. You have to teach them to be right. Why? Because they're so naturally bent towards wrong. What's the first words out of their mouth? No. What's the second one? Mine. So we have to help them along, minister to them every once in a while and say, that's not the way you act. We're trying to get you upright and curb this tendency you have towards sin. He died in his sins. It was eternally too late. Think of it. The Savior of his soul was right beside him, within his grasp, completely accessible, but he rejected him. And it's that way with every man and woman today. Jesus is right there next to you. The Bible says, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and fellowship with him and he with me. He knocks. What I love about this story is the Holy Ghost, we're going to see in a moment, moved in on this second thief. And hours before he died, turned him to Christ. The only time it's too late is when your heart is stopped and your body is dead. Then it's too late. But until then, you can turn. Until then, you can come to him. Until then, you can pray. And you can go to that cross and receive your forgiveness. And it's glorious. Listen, repent is not a bad word. It's the most beautiful word in the English language. When I repented, I became right with God. When I repented, I was translated from death to life, from lost to found. When I repented, I got peace with God. When I repented, I got the joy of the Lord and the weight of sin came off my shoulders. Repentance is an incredible opportunity and an incredible thing that we can do because the age of grace is still here. That, this, this second thing we're going to see in a minute took advantage of his last hours. Let's talk about him. We see that the first thief died in his sins. Following the crowd, not remorseful for his sin, and he didn't believe in Christ. He didn't accept him. And he's like most people today. Jesus said there's a narrow way and a broad way. The narrow way is the way that leads to genuine life, and the broad way leads to destruction. 
And there are many, many, many people going down the broad way. He said, many there be that go down that road, but down the narrow road that leads to life, few there be that find it. It is only gotten by going the one way, the only way through Jesus Christ. That's how we get to the narrow way that leads to life. I find it interesting that Jesus was not politically correct. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man will come to the Father but through me. You will not get to God through Muhammad, through Buddha, through Krishna, through Zoroaster, through any good intent. You will only get there according to Jesus. Well, Pastor, you shouldn't be that narrow. I'm as narrow as he was. I'm quoting him. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Well, the first one missed it. What about the second one? Hanging there. Dying. We see that this man had at first railed at Jesus and blasphemed him just like the first one did. This second one had done the same thing. But suddenly, what, what, what I find intriguing is he changed his tune hours before death. I believe the Holy Ghost began to work on him. Because no man says, Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. And no man comes to me, Jesus said, but the Father draws him. So here's this man. He's dying. His whole life is passing in front of him. He's in excruciating agony. He's gasping for breath. He's pushing himself up on his feet because his lungs are collapsing. His body is collapsing. His joints are coming out. His bones are coming out of joint. We read in verses 40 and 41 in Luke 23 that after the first thief had mocked and ridiculed Jesus Christ yet again, all of a sudden, this second thief says this. It says the other turned. Now, picture this. He's hanging on the cross. He's on the left of Jesus. No, no. He's on the right of Jesus. <laughs> he's on the right of Jesus. We work up here. And, and, and the one who rejected him is on the left. And they're, they're talking around Jesus. Imagine that. Christ is listening to them. And he hears his compadre in crime say, Ah, you know, if you're the Christ, come on down. And he blasphemes him again. And this second one all of a sudden says, He says, Aren't you afraid of God? Do you not even fear God? Seeing you're under the same condemnation? Wait a minute. Who, who is talking here? This guy had just minutes before been mocking Christ. What's happened to him? Jesus said the Spirit of God blows like a wind. You don't know where it's going or where it's coming from. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God will touch somebody. Touch somebody. You don't see him, but you see what he does. And, and here's this, this thief. He's mocking Christ with his buddy. And here sits Christ hanging with them. And, and, and all of a sudden he says, don't you fear God? He said, and he went on. He preaches to his friend. He's witnessing to his friend now. He says, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. What? How powerful is this? He's had a revelation. I pray the same kind of revelation that sweeps this city. And the same kind of revelation that sweeps this country before it's eternally too late. 
He's been touched. He's been changed. And you know what? It's progressive. It's, it's a progression going on here. And it begins with this second thief feared God. He rebuked the first thief. Do you not even fear God? Don't you know you're about to meet your maker? And are you going to go there mocking this man who has done nothing wrong, who has a kingdom that's coming? In other words, who is Lord? The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's flip that coin. If you don't fear God, you have no wisdom. You can have a high IQ. You can be brilliant. You can know calculus backwards and forwards. You can be a great philosopher. At least you can know the philosophies of the world. You can expostulate and you can, you can stand up and impress people with your verbiage and your oratory. And you can be brilliant on an IQ test and be a fool. It's true. You can be smart and have no wisdom. We're, we got a nation full of smart people that don't have a drop, a thimble full of wisdom. Because wisdom is when you say, I need to fear the one that I'm going to meet one day. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, God, capital H. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. So we're either going to fear what people think, fear the crowd, fear the opinion of others, and be real sure that they smile our way and slap us on the back and accept us as one of theirs, or we say, you know what, I'm going to fear the Lord. I want his smile on me. And that doesn't mean you walk around in dread, phobic fear of God. It means you know he holds your soul in the hollow of his hand. And the Bible says your very next breath is being held and controlled by and allowed by God. Jesus said, he's the one you ought to fear. This first thief knew that he was about to face his maker. And so he was afraid. And that salvation helped him towards God. So there's the first stage. Second one, this man knew that he was a sinner deserving to be punished. He said to the other thief, for we receive, we're receiving the due reward of our deeds... He didn't offer an excuse. He didn't play the blame game like we're so good at today. Man, you, I thought Flip Wilson long ago. I thought that would wear out. The devil made me do it. But now in our culture, everybody made me do it but me. But you know what? Excuses won't get you into heaven. And no excuse will work. I noticed that this thief did not say to Jesus, you know, Lord, my mother rejected me. Can I just have a counseling session here while we're all dying? Can I just tell you why I did what I did? And you know, Lord, my father was a thief also, and I just followed the family, the, the family pattern. It was just what we did. Or how about this? I, felt, I just fell among the wrong crowd. Gee, I didn't mean to. Or how about Jesus? I never had a real chance at life. My parents never had much money. I was born under a bad sign. None of that. And nor will we if we don't repent of our sin. Sin's going to have to be dealt with. Our nation right now seems to be daring God to judge us. You know what? God will take our nation up on it. And I don't want to see it. But sin must be judged. And it's going to be judged one of two ways. Here's the cross. See it up there, the one in the middle. On that middle cross. Your sins were crucified on that cross. 
Jesus took your guilt, your punishment, your judgment on that cross. He was there dying in your stead, and you were there when he died. You were there in the eyes of God. He died because of my sin, because of your sin, because of the sins of the entire human race, and we all played a part. And if you go to him and say, Lord, forgive me, then your sin is forever judged and it's over with. Now you're forgiven. But if you don't go there, then you will face God and your sin must be judged at another judgment. And you won't be covered. You won't have an attorney. You won't have anybody standing for you because you had your chance and you rejected it. And that's just what the Bible says. Now you may be thinking, I know what you're thinking, but Jeff, come on. I've never done anything like those two men. You can't fairly compare me to them. I'm generally a pretty good guy. It's been years since I had a ticket. I don't cuss, smoke, and chew. Don't run with the boys that do. I'm faithful to my wife, faithful to my home. Love my kids. I'm a good old all-American person. I love Elvis. I love Chevy. I love apple pie. I'm a good person. What are you talking about me being judged? Do you know what the Bible doesn't say that about you and me? It's not how the Bible sees us. Can I tell you how the Bible sees us? The Bible is very blunt. There is none righteous. No, not one. None, not one. None, not one. Not one. You can't go find one. Search the world wide. You're not going to find even one. All have sinned and are falling short of God's glory every single day. For instance, let me, let me open our eyes a little bit here today. And I'm glad this is going out on radio all over Indiana and California and other parts of the country. Because we've got to get back to the truth here. Watch this. Scripture teaches that if we're angry without a cause, it's like committing the sin of murder. But ever been mad at anybody without a good reason? To lust after somebody in your heart is as the sin of adultery. Have, ever, have you ever lusted? And to covet somebody else's goods is as the sin of theft. Scripture teaches that God hates pride. Ever been proud? Let me see if you've never been proud. You, liar, you're proud. You're proud. Everybody in here has been proud about it. Listen, God hates lying. You ever told a lie? Raise your hand if you never told a lie. You just told a lie. God's word condemns the making of empty promises. Did you know that? And careless gossip and crude jokes. Ever done any of that? The Bible condemns being disrespectful towards those who have the rightful authority over us. It condemns laziness. Where's that put 50% of our country living off of our tax dollars? If you can help yourself and you can get a job and you're healthy and you're living off of welfare, you're in sin. Because the Bible says if any man will not work, he should not eat. I didn't say that. We get the Protestant work ethic from the scriptures. These and many more are all sins before God. And James said if you have committed against one, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. So we need a Savior. None of us can stand in front of Him and say, I never broke your law. I never offended you. We need a Savior. We need an attorney. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, an attorney. He's free. He'll do it pro bono. He'll cover you. 
And he's the only one whose card you need. His name is J-E-S-U-S. And he's the only attorney that Jesus will let in or that God will let in. Who's covering you? Well, well, uh, uh, my my grandmother, she was a great believer. Out. My daddy, he prayed for me all the time. Out. Well, I had a great teacher in a Christian school. Out. What are you claiming in front of me? I'm claiming that one day I went to that middle cross and I bowed my knee and the blood covered me. And my attorney is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And God will say, come on in, come on in, come on in. Isn't this fun? Some of y'all are hearing this. You're saying that's very narrow. That is really not politically correct. No, Jesus would not make it 10 minutes in this culture because he was not politically correct. He was just correct. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just having some fun up here. I I, I just, there's there's so many things I want to say to our culture. Give me one minute on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN. I would say, you know, here's the bottom line. Here's what Jesus said. Not me, but what are you going to do with him? Well, this first thief rejected him. The second one, he's having a revelation. He says, I'm in sin. I'm in sin. And we also see that this man knew Jesus was completely righteous and that he was the Lord. He said to the unrepentant thief, This man has done nothing wrong. How did he know that? It was a revelation. He also recognized him as sinless and knew that Jesus did not deserve the agony he was being made to suffer, but they did deserve it. He recognized who Jesus was. And you will never come to Christ until you recognize who he was. He was not Muhammad. He was not Buddha. He was not Krishna. He was not Confucius. He was not like any other man. He's not in the same ballpark, the same field, the same strata. He is completely on his own, in his own stratosphere. There is no one like him. He is co-eternal with God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There's not another one like him. He was all God, all man, all man, all God. There's not another one like him. He was supernatural. And this man said, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging next to the sinless Son of God. And the last thing he did, he trusted Jesus to save him. The last prayer, maybe the only prayer he ever prayed, but it was the last one. First word out of his mouth tells me everything. He said, Lord. No man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. He said, Lord. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. Remember me. Here's Jesus, beat unrecognizable. Blood streaming all down his body. He's got hours left. That face turned towards this man. I read this this week and I wanted to weep. Tears came up in my eyes. It touched me. I, I saw this scene. Look at those three crosses. I saw this scene. This, here's this one obstinate, unrepentant on his left, but on his right, there's a conversation going on. And he, he says, Lord, and that's what you got to say. If we will confess with our mouth, he's Lord. 
and believe in our heart he was raised from the dead. And he says, Lord, that tells me everything. He now knew. He started out fear of God, then realized he was in sin. Then he realized the truth about Jesus. He is perfect, sinless. He is not like us. And then he finally said, Lord, remember me. (laughs) Gosh, remember me. He's in the electric chair of that day. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, that tells me he knew who he was. This is the one the prophets talked about who's coming in a millennial kingdom. He knew this was the Lord of a kingdom. And so, hear this. This man had never been water baptized. He'd never partaken of the Lord's Supper. He had probably not attended synagogue in years, if ever. There was absolutely no reason he could offer as to why he should be saved. He cast himself fully and completely on the mercies of amazing grace. Remember me, Lord. When you come in your kingdom, remember me. I know what I've done. I know I'm a sinner, and I know who you are, and I know I deserve what I'm getting, but I'm asking for mercy. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He turned his bloodied face towards him and said something that lifted this man, that made his last minutes in this world so much easier. He said, today... You will be with me in heaven today. Isn't that beautiful? Assuredly, I tell you, criminal, you're not a criminal anymore. I've washed your sins away. You're now a child of God. You're dying a child of God. You were crucified a criminal going to hell. You're going to die a child of God going to heaven. Without a shadow of a doubt, I promise you, this is my promise, this very day, you'll not only be delivered from this pain, but you're going to be taken into paradise, the garden of God, the place of everlasting delight. And don't you know his last breaths were so much easier because he had a promise from this one right here. Now watch, every person out there without Christ is hanging on a cross in this respect doomed, condemned, judged. And Jesus is standing right there. I'm knocking. If you'll let me in, you can come out of that doom, out of that condemnation, out of that judgment, and turn to me. Can we stand together today? Please don't leave because we're going to Pray in a moment, and we have a very important announcement to make at the end that you, I promise, will want to hear. Okay? But let's pray right now. Could you bow your head with me a moment? And just say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've walked with the Lord, but I've drifted. And I know I've drifted. Maybe you have hooked up with the wrong person or people. And before you knew it, you've drifted and kind of gotten off with some worldly folks. And you started going down some. Or maybe you've never in your life said what this thief did. Lord, remember me. I'm coming to you. Forgive my sin and come into my heart. I want to pray for you if you're in either one of those two categories. This is so important, so crucial. Don't think of anything else. Don't think about lunch. Don't think about getting out of here right now. This is so crucial. I wouldn't get into my car and go down the road until I handled 
where I am with God. And if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've drifted or I don't know that I've ever known him. And I want to handle that today. Let me pray with you. God wants to bless you. He wants you to leave this building with peace. If that's you, can you just slip your hand up right where you are? Quickly, just put it up. Say, I need prayer. I have drifted. I need to come to him. Put it high. Don't hesitate for a moment. All over this place. God bless you. I see you everywhere. Many of you. I want you to do something. Listen quickly. Forget about anybody in here. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. Remember, we're not fearing man. We're fearing God. I want you to slip out from where you are. And I want you to come and stand right in front of me. Come now. Come right now. Now, quickly. Tell your feet to begin to move. If you raise your hand, you come right now. Quickly. Because it's a step of faith. And God is going to touch you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to change you. He's going to break through on you. You come right now. Come quickly. Now is the day. Now is the time. This is the hour. Come quickly. Come. We're going to wait for you. We're going to wait for you. All right, now, listen. We're just like that thief on the cross. We're going to turn to him. And we're going to say, Lord, remember me. So let's do it right now. Say with me, Lord, I believe you died for my sins, rose from the dead so that I can be saved. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart God raised you from the dead. Lord, guide my life from this moment forward and thank you for filling me with the Spirit of God. Thank you that now I am saved from sin and its consequences in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, seal this decision with the mighty Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for touching them, and I praise you for it with all of my heart. Amen. Now, you'll look at me a minute.